Hello and welcome to Meet Me at the Movies. I am Noel T. Manning II, hanging out with Thomas Manning and a special guest, Nicole Ackman. Uh, we are very happy to have you as our guest today. And for those of you tuning in through C19 TV, appreciate you watching. And for those that are listening to us on radio through WGWG, we thank you as well. So however you spend time with us, we always want to make sure you know that we do appreciate you. Nicole, you are involved in so many different aspects <laughs> of entertainment uh, and entertainment journalism and criticism all rolled into one. Don't get me to try to say that three times fast. <laughs> but I'd, I'd love uh, for you to tell a little bit about the outlets where people can find you and then we'll kind of dive into your background. Yeah, I've got a handful of outlets that I write for and podcast for. Um, my main one, I guess, would be Next Best Picture, where I write reviews and I occasionally do interviews and I'm on the podcast there. Uh, I do film and theater content over there. I'm one of the heads of Next Best Theater as well. Uh, I also write and occasionally podcast for In Their Own League, which is a uh, film outlet that's entirely focused around movies made uh, by women, which is really cool. I also write for FF2 Media, which is another film outlet that's entirely about film made by women. Uh, and then I'm also a writer for Broadway World Raleigh. I was a writer for Broadway World uh, UK in the past and for Broadway World in London, or in the New York as well. And so now I write for Broadway World Raleigh. So in your spare time, what do you do? <laughs> in my spare time, I have my own podcast with one of my best friends uh, where we talk about period drama. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. Very cool. Well, we appreciate you, uh, whichever outlet you're representing today. And I think it's all of those. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So where did this love of, of acting and cinema, where did that come from for you? I really think it all comes from the fact that my mom is a huge movie fan. And so growing up, we always had TCM on. Like you would walk into the, the living room and either the TV series MASH would be playing um, or there'd be some old film from Turner Classic Movies on. And so I just kind of grew up around film. We went to the movie theater a lot whenever I was a kid. I went a lot in high school. I recently was going through my room at my parents' house and I found I have like all of my old ticket stubs from whatever you actually had like a paper ticket yeah. um and i got into theater in high school um and started acting through that and so for a while my like love of theater kind of overshadowed my love of film especially in college i was very much like a theater person first and foremost but then after college i started um i i was asked to be a part of uh, Next Best Theater over at Next Best Picture, and it kind of just snowballed from there, honestly, and I ended up involved in the film stuff as well. Awesome. Thomas, I see you've got a question, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So um, who were some of those specific filmmakers and possibly genres that kind of shaped your passion as a cinephile and um, you know, fan of theater growing up? Yeah, I've always been a huge fan of Katherine Hepburn. Um, I watched a lot of Katherine Hepburn movies growing up and Audrey Hepburn too, to a certain extent. I actually like in middle school went through a really intense Hitchcock phase, uh, which I think it, it still is reflected in the fact that I, I really do love thrillers as much as I hate horror movies. Um, and I also just have had a real passion for period drama from a really young age. I majored in history in college, but like I was one of those kids who like from maybe the age of five years old was super obsessed with history. 
And so period drama was something that I gravitated to at a really young age. I remember at sleepovers in middle school, we would watch Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice. And like <laughs> my friends, my friends and I could like quote every line of that film. Um, so I think that that's kind of really where I came about on the film side. And I'm, and I still am, but I was a huge Andrew Lloyd Webber fan in terms of theater in high school. Um, I, I mean, you can literally see, I've got my woman in white poster behind me. Um, and I still am, and I love um, Publia and Schoenberg. So again, like, I'm very much drawn to even period pieces in theater. Um, and then as I've gotten older, I've been very drawn to stuff like uh, Dave Malloy, Jason Robert Brown. Um, I'm a huge fan of like Hades Town and uh, some stuff that's a little bit more experimental. I think it's it's funny as I've gotten into sort of more experimental theater and stuff, I've also gotten more into indie film. So I think maybe that's kind of just the, the normal path. But uh, definitely, I think one of the things that connects everything is my love for history. Let, let's talk about period films. When you say period films, what do you mean by period films or period pieces? Because that carries a, a different meaning for certain people. It definitely does. I. My main thing is I'm mostly interested in films that are set uh, kind of pre-1960, I'd say maybe. Obviously, you can call something a period film that that goes uh, further forward into like the 80s. One thing, my, my friend Maggie and I have a podcast called um, Petticoats and Poppies, History Girls at the Movies, because we're both trained as historians who are working in the film industry. Uh, and we had this big discussion on, okay, well, for the sake of this podcast, what are we going to call a period film? And we knew that there were two things. One was that it has to be set in that time period. It can't be made in that time period. So, you know, a film set in the 40s, made in the 40s, doesn't count for us. Okay. Um, but... We also decided just for our purposes to make it easier that if it was a time period that our parents had lived through, we weren't going to call it period just to avoid annoying them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have any problem with that because when I look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for me, yeah. that was a period film, even though I was born within that same time, it's still a period film for me. Yeah. <laughs> so so I'm, I, I, I'm all it, for it that. It gets a little weird whenever you start to call, like, if, is a film that's made now but set in the 90s, is that a period film? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I yeah. look at, um, yeah, I, 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 see what you're, I see where you're going. I see where you're going there. Yep. All right, Thomas, <laughs> Thomas, dive in. Yeah, so uh, growing up, looks like you were definitely surrounded with movies and film all the time and Turner Classic, like you mentioned. Um, but at what point did you kind of realize you wanted to actually get into studying it and analyzing the art of film criticism and everything on that front? Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, whenever I was in high school, my senior year of high school, I got sort of more interested in uh, movies in a more serious way. And I did a lot of reading about movies. And I knew at that point that I was going to Elon University, which has a really strong communication school. And I ended up majoring in strategic communications, but I did actually go in intending to major in film with a specialization in documentary. Um, and so in high school, I actually, we had this weird thing at my high school where the last two weeks of the school year were um, sort of their own special thing. Um, and so you would have student and teacher led classes. And I actually led a class with my favorite professor who was our teacher, who was um, the European history teacher. We did this, this class that we led on um, the portrayal of history in film. And we specifically, I remember, looked at um, how films over time have portrayed the Civil War. And so that kind of got me interested. I did a lot of reading for that on, you know, a lot of reading reviews and stuff written about film. And so that kind of sparked it all off. And then really I got into film criticism though, 
by being a theater critic. Uh, after I graduated college, I moved to London to do my grad work and I became a writer for Broadway World UK and I was reviewing shows. Honestly, there were times where I was reviewing like four shows a week, um, which is why I still think I can like get out a film review in no time because like, <laughs> I got used to that, like see the show, go home, write the review, post it. Um, but so really it was out of that that I like learned how to be a critic. Um, and, and how to write in that way and how to analyze things. And that honestly made it a very easy transition whenever I started actually writing about film. So what is your approach to criticism? How do you go into either theater or to film criticism? Everybody's got their, their own voice, but what would you consider as your voice and, and your approach to that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that make my voice, I guess I would say unique. Um, one is just I do think that there's still the fact that like being a woman writing about film um I often have a different perspective than is what is sort of still the mainstream perspective uh and that's part of why I write for several outlets that are about female-made film uh I also think that being someone with a history major gives me a unique perspective which is why I like to talk a lot about period drama and looking at um, sort of how history is being portrayed and when it's being portrayed what I would call responsibly and when it isn't. Um, but my, my big things really with film criticism, I guess, are that uh, I try to go into everything as open-minded as I can while still acknowledging that everyone has bias, I think. Sometimes critics try and act like, you know, you can erase your bias and I don't think that's possible. Like, I know that if I'm going to see a movie with Kira Knightley, I'm probably going to like it more than the average person. Um, and I think that acknowledging that is important, um, even if it's just to yourself, uh, but also trying to find something good in everything that I see. Even, you know, sometimes you see a film and you're like, oh, this is really bad. <laughs> um, but there's always something good yeah. in it. Uh, unless, unless obviously like there's exceptions where like, if you think something has, you know, a dangerous message or something like that, right. if, it's, if it's been irresponsibly made, but most of the time I can be like, okay, well, you know, I didn't really think that this was well done, but like the production design was really good or right. but the performances were really good. Um, so I try to always find something positive to say. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you because Thomas and I've talked about this before. Nobody sets out to make a bad film unless right. they're trying to make a bad film, but, <laughs> yeah. but even then they're trying to make a good bad film. So, <laughs> but Definitely. you're right about that, that baggage and that bias. We all have it. We all carry it with us, but we have to learn how to handle it and deal with it. And, and for me, I used to have a, a lot of baggage for uh, Nicolas Cage prior to um, what is it, a honeymoon in Vegas. Mm -hmm. And and there was something about his uh, approach to that role that that spoke to me at that time. And so I went back and revisited yeah. other other work, and I'm like, wow, okay, I don't dislike this guy as much as I liked. But sometimes you have to take a chance, and you have to be willing to kind of move forward and 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 understand if you've got the baggage, let people know about it. You know, let yep. people know up front about it. And and if you yeah. do that for those that are, uh, are watching your reviews or listening to them or reading them, if you let them know up front there's baggage, then you're, you're in good shape. You're in good shape. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Thomas, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you seem to be almost a scholar of like production design and costume design. So uh, who are a few of your favorite production designers and costume designers that you've uh, really come to appreciate their work over the past, I guess we'll say the past few years, just in particular. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, like as a period drama fan, I have to say Sandy Powell. Um, that's kind of a given. Um, my my favorite costume designer, the one that I'm like truly in love with, is uh, Alexandra Byrne. I'm a huge fan of her work. A lot of people know her from stuff like Elizabeth the Golden Age. Um, but I'm a huge fan of the movie Mary Queen of Scots, which came out a couple of years ago. I thought that her work in that was so innovative and so kind of fresh for a period drama. Um, I also will admit, like, I'm very personally tied to that film because it was directed by uh, the woman who was the artistic director at the theater that I was interning at at the time. Um, so I do have a lot of personal ties to it, but I, I just think that she's great. And uh, earlier this, or I guess last year now, I swear, I don't know what year it is yet. Um, <laughs> she did Emma, which I just think yeah. is one of the most beautiful films. Um, honestly, I think it's one of the most beautiful films like ever made from a, a historical costume design perspective. And it's also one of the most well-researched, historically correct Regency period pieces to ever be made. Uh, so I obviously love that she can she can do both the super period accurate stuff or the more innovative innovative kind of pushing the bubble stuff like Mary Queen of Scots. Awesome. We are hanging out with Nicole Ackman and Thomas Manning right here on Meet Me in the Movies. I'm Noel T. Manning II. We're going to take a quick intermission, come back and talk to Nicole more uh, about film and uh, and history and maybe uh, <laughs> historical pieces that she did not quite like so much. And we'll, we'll, we'll just see where the conversation goes. Stick around uh, right after this quick intermission. We'll be back with more on Meet Me in the Movies. They're gonna put me in the movies. They're gonna make a big star out of me. Hi, I'm Jill Nolan, your host for Woman to Woman, a show that is about women and for women. Each month, we feature guests that highlight topics that focus on self-care, health, and well-being, and a variety of other topics for women young and well-seasoned here in Cleveland County. Join us each month on Woman to Woman here at C19 TV, a broadcast service of Cleveland Community College. Hey everyone, I'm Tim Wisher, welding instructor at Cleveland Community College, and today I'd like to take a little time and tell you about what we do here. Welders are in demand. We offer a certificate program and we offer a diploma program. It takes about a year to come through our program. We offer morning and evening classes here at CCC. We have the lowest student to instructor ratio in the state. We do real life simulation. We do API 1104 downhill pipe welding. We also do D11 structural steel code and ASME welding as well. We have AWS certified welding inspectors on staff. If you want to learn more about our welding program, you can give me a call directly at 704-669-4077 or on the community college website at clevelandcc.edu. Hi, I'm Steve Putnam, and I'd like to invite you to join me for the next Talk of the Town. Each week I get to meet with some of the most interesting people in Cleveland County. And each show is packed with information you need to know to stay connected to our community. From promoting upcoming events to discussing local subjects that impact you, Talk of the Town has a little something for everyone. Plus, we're on every day, so it's easy to catch up with us. That's Talk of the Town. Every day, every week, right here on C19 TV, Cleveland County's channel. It takes all of us to slow the spread of the coronavirus. So follow guidance from authorities where you live and stay home unless absolutely necessary. Use a delivery service for essential items like food and medicine. If you must make essential trips, stay six feet apart from other people. Wear a cloth face covering and wash your hands for at least 20 seconds as often as possible. 
Visit coronavirus.gov for the latest information. Welcome back to Meet Me at the Movies. Noel T. Manning II here with Thomas Manning on C19 TV and WGWG. Nicole Ackman joining us, and she's got a million different outlets that you can find her work. What, do you have a, like, what would you consider a main outlet that you would want to send people? Yeah, next best picture, I, I would probably consider my main outlet. <laughs> well, I, I definitely, I know Thomas has some questions about next best picture uh, down the road, because I know he's wanting to talk to you about that and, and um, the kind of significance of what that has meant for uh, for cinema, especially during award season. Uh, but we'll talk about that. And that, that's a that's a preview of coming attractions. So you're getting <laughs> you ready for that. Let's let's continue to talk about uh, history and film, and uh, production design, uh, and also costume design. All those things really do come into play for period films. And if you understand history like you do, if you're a history scholar. I'm sure things will stand out like a sore thumb uh, if you if you see certain things. Uh, so uh, let's talk about some of those films that that maybe rubbed you the wrong way because somebody didn't catch something. Any of those uh, on your radar? Uh, I actually just did a podcast about um, for my for my period drama podcast about the greatest showman. Um, <laughs> which is like from a historian's perspective and also from someone who studied public relations in college and like <laughs> whenever you study public relations they talk to you about pc barnum continually because he basically invented the publicity stunt yes there is nothing right about that <laughs> um the costume design like is so i i it, you almost can't call it inaccurate because it's like they weren't even attempting period half of the time um, but basically everything that they tell you about P.P. Barnum in that film is false. Uh, and he was, he was actually a, a really horrible man. And so I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with the idea of kind of showing him as this like really great guy who really, you know, uh, helped people feel empowered whenever he actually was responsible for a lot of cruelty towards both people and animals. So that is like my, maybe my number one uh, movie where I'm like, if you want to make that movie, that's great. But I call it the greatest showman syndrome, where I'm like, you didn't need to slap the name of a historical figure onto your completely fictional narrative. You could have just had a fictional character do all these things, and then I would have been fine with it. Okay, uh, okay. Now, yeah. what about what about the soundtrack? How did you feel about the soundtrack? Okay, this is this is me being very controversial. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of Pasek and Paul as composers. Um, I don't really care for the La La Land soundtrack. I I don't really care for Dear Evan Hansen. Um, I did like some of their earlier work, like Edges and Dogfight, but I really, really haven't liked their stuff since they've gone mainstream. Um, and I, I do still carry some resentment towards them for the amount of Tony Awards that they won for Jeremy <laughs> Hansen. Okay. Um, and I know that that's part of it because they beat out uh, one of my favorite shows of all time for, for most of the awards. Um, so that's your baggage. That's some, some of yeah, your baggage that showing up. my baggage right there. But yeah, that's, I, I jokingly said on the podcast, I was like, the thing about The Greatest Showman is that like, it's kind of my greatest nightmare and that it's composers I don't like, about a man I don't like. Uh, and I'm also, I'm notoriously very hard on movie musicals. Okay. Um, as I think a lot of fans of theater are because it's like, well, I know what this could look like. Um, that, but yeah, it's, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there, is there a mu movie musical that you loved? You're talking about your hard on mu movie musicals. Is there yeah. one that you really did love? 
I've got a, a handful that I, I'm really passionate about. I grew up watching Meet Me in St. Louis all the time. It's definitely my favorite movie musical. I also think it's a fantastic example of a very early period piece, um, you know, because it was made in the 40s, but set in the early 1900s. And uh, it's actually really remarkably historically accurate to have been made in the 1940s. Uh, that's definitely my favorite movie musical. I also have such an affection. There was a small film made of uh, the musical the last five years. Um, I was going to say a couple of years ago. It's probably more like, I think it was like 2015. That's more like a couple of years ago, I guess. Um, but it had Anna Kendrick and Jeremy Jordan. And it's one of my favorite musicals. And it's not like the greatest film ever made, but I do think it did a very good job at like capturing um, the, the musical and sort of not messing with it too much, which I really appreciated. Awesome. Thomas, dive in, buddy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'll go ahead and go back to the uh, next best picture conversation. Uh, so I've kept up with their work for a few years and noticed they've kind of built some more talent and added some more unique voices around. Uh, so at uh, what point in the process were you brought on board and uh, what has your experience been with, with uh, next, next Best Picture? So I actually have a very funny uh, story of how I got involved with Next Best Picture. Um, and it goes to the fact that I went to college with Will Mavity. Uh, who is one of the founding members of Next Best Picture. And in, I guess, April of 2013, it would have been, it was the year that we were seniors, Will and I both. Um, he was like, hey, uh, I'm part of this new uh, film website and podcast, and we're trying to launch a theater branch of it uh, that would cover the Tony Awards. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And he was like, well, you're going to be part of it. And I was like, wait what um he was like yeah don't worry about it i've already told them and i was like i'm sorry what's happening um and so basically i just got brought on sort of out of the blue and i was like what's happening um but i was a part of the of nexus theater for uh, a good chunk of time we did our first tony season and then the following year matt actually asked me to fully come on as a member of the film side as well um and I started writing reviews, started doing film podcasts, and it's sort of just snowballed from there. And now, you know, they're my main outlet. And I'm also just really good friends with everyone there. I think that obviously uh, I'm very proud of Matt and everything that he's created and, and the way that he's able to run Next Best Picture on top of, you know, having his day job. And also the community that he's built both sort of with all the listeners and the readers, right. but also internally, like, the you know everybody at next this picture are genuinely some of my best friends what, what do you think has caused it to explode and to be so well respected but also uh really engaging for for both audiences critics and for filmmakers i think i guess i would say there's probably two things one is that like you said we do have a good set of talent with some diverse voices and we have a lot of people with differing opinions and we're not afraid to sort of have that out with each other on air. Um, I've been on so many podcasts where, you know, we totally disagree on something. And I think that we do a really good job of being able to work that out while still being very respectful of each other's opinions. I also think that we cover so much um, like, I honestly think you'd sort of be hard pressed to, to find any sort of film that's, you know, making waves at all that we're not covering, at least in a written review. Um, and we cover, you know, the SAG Awards and the Golden Globes and the Tonys. And we sort of are able to do all of it because we do have a, you know, somewhat of a bigger team. 
And I think that there aren't that many outlets that are still small enough that you can have real interaction with them yeah. uh, that do that much. <laughs> but what I love is that you cover all of the awards. Well, not, not all of them probably, but, but many, I mean, North Carolina film critics, Oklahoma yep. film critics circle, you know, you see all of these state uh, award circles popping up as well. And I think it's just a, it's a wonderful way for, for film lovers to be able to see and track what is going on because it gives you a sense, especially during award season, uh, mm -hmm. as we're in now to, to see what is happening and what's popping up on the radar. And sometimes it does influence what happens down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's really great that we're able to cover sort of all of these uh, critics groups and sort of put the spotlight on them, which I think is, is really helpful. Like you said, and, and, have letting people see what's out there and I also think at this point you know um earlier on in the awards race for a lot of film lovers there might be movies that actually haven't released yet that might not be on their radar but that film critics have seen and so whenever those come up you know I'm thinking of stuff like The Father um and whenever those come up in the awards hopefully it encourages people too to, to check those films out whenever they are released. Yeah, I was I was talking recently with a former president for Oklahoma Film Critics Circle, and we were both talking about Minari, which most people have not seen, but it showed up as the top film for both North Carolina and for Oklahoma. Thomas, uh, I think you've got a final question before we get ready to wrap up. Oh, yeah. So being in such a tight-knit community like Next Best Picture and with people with different perspectives and voices, have you kind of noticed your own perspective evolving in some circumstances uh, just in regard to um, the relationship between film and the audience and the critic? Yeah, I think it's one of the great things about being in a group of people with such like differing opinions is that I often will stop. And I think it also makes me very aware of my own biases whenever I'm like, well, wait, why did this person like this movie and I didn't? Or, you know, why am I not excited about this thing? Like, maybe I need to give it a chance. Um, and I think it's also made me very aware. We have some really smart people who... Uh, especially whenever it comes to the awards stuff, have some really great analysis. And I feel like I learn so much from the other people at Next Best Picture just constantly, especially things like, I don't know that much about TV. So to hear them talk about the Emmys sometimes, I'm like, I feel like I just sat through a masterclass on it. Um, and so it's it's really great just to, to get to hear all those perspectives and to get to sort of, um, I feel like sometimes I'm like blending their thoughts in with my own and then getting to sort of claim them. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, Nicole Agman, our guest right here on Meet Me at the Movies, we really appreciate you being here. And uh, if people wanted to follow you on any social media, do, do you uh, want to share some of your uh, information there? Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd as Nicole Ackman 16. I keep the same handle across everything, so it's easy to find me. Awesome. Awesome. And any final thoughts or comments of movies that people should see when they're released, uh, even if they haven't seen them yet. Absolutely, um, the the three big ones I'm I'm you know saying this year is uh, if you missed Summerland, which came out over last summer, it's a beautiful period drama, something a bit different, written and directed by a London playwright. So obviously, I'm a big fan. Uh, also, Promising Young Woman, I think, is the sort of film that is sparking conversations that need to happen. So I think it's a really important film for people to see. And then also, obviously, everyone's talking about Soul this year and onward, but if you haven't seen Wolf Walkers, it's on Apple TV. Make sure you see it. It is one of the most beautiful films of the year. 
Awesome. Nicole Ackman, our guest right here on Meet Me at the Movies. I'm Noel T. Manning II. Thomas Manning joining us as well. You can always email us uh, info at c19.tv. That's c19.tv. Info at c19.tv. And uh, for WGWG, you can uh, email us there as well. Info at wgwg.org. We always appreciate your time. Appreciate uh, however you choose to spend time with us because we know your time is valuable and we do. Thank you. I can't say that enough. Uh, and Greg Tillman, uh, our producer, we appreciate you for allowing us to do this uh, talk about movies because we really do have a blast doing it. So uh, thank you for, for allowing us this venue. Until next time, I'm Noel T. Manning II for Thomas and for Nicole. Until next time, that's a wrap. Happy